I beat Final Fantasy V last night, and, you know, with anything I'm into, I, I tend to be very obsessive. You know, if I'm eating Oreos, I will eat the whole thing. I will eat the whole bag, every every little row. Uh, if I'm doing, if I'm drinking, if I've decided to drink, you know, I will drink all night, which is why I don't do it anymore. Uh, when I was experimenting with smoking weed again a few months ago, I've, I've since stopped. I, that impulse came back right away where I was just like, oh, I want to do this all the time. There's this little voice in the back of my head that's saying, do this all day. Do this as much as you can. And even though I, you know, I had better discipline about it this time, I guess, that impulse was still there. Uh, and with these things, if I'm not doing it at all, if, I'm, if I've just gone cold turkey, so to speak, it's not a problem. I don't actually have a voice in my head that's like, start doing that thing again. Like, you know, in the last two years, I haven't really felt much of an impulse at all to drink again. Uh, pretty much none coming up on two years. And with weed, when I wasn't doing it at all, and now that I'm not doing it at all again, that voice isn't there. I don't have any desire to smoke weed. None. But when I decided to start trying it out again, it just came back, and I was just like, oh, I want to do this all the time. If I eat one Oreo, I'm going to want to eat all of them, and I'm going to want to eat them every day. And it's kind of the same thing with video games, where I don't play them much at all, very, very rarely. Once in a true blue moon. Uh, but playing Final Fantasy V, I just immediately wanted to do it all the time. Any spare time I had the last few days, it was spent playing Final Fantasy V. And I feel like I was also overcompensating or, or just compensating for something. Because Final Fantasy V is one of the ones that I never played all the way through. Barely played it at all, really. I knew the basics about it. And as much as I talk about RPGs on this show and in my life, and I talk about RPGs both as a foundation of my childhood and, you know, my teenage years, as well as an analogy for just how life works, you know, as much as I use RPGs as this great analogy, the fact that I had never played Final Fantasy V, it was just always in the back of my mind. And by in the back of my mind, I mean in the center of my heart, eating away <laughs> from within. Uh, just that I'd never played it through. I felt like a poser. I felt like less of less of a fan. I felt dishonest, and so I just knew. I was listening to the soundtrack to it uh, about a week ago, and something just. I was like, you know, I have to. I've never actually played my way through this. I have to play this, so I did. And uh, you know, this is going to be one of those nostalgia mill episodes. You know, I'm a I'm a miller. I'm a miller. You know, I run the nostalgia mill. In the story of Robin Hood, uh, there's the character Much the Miller's Son. His name is Much. I think M-U-C-H. I think that's his name. Much the Miller's Son. And, you know, people often ask him, they're like, hey, Much, uh, you know, we all know you're the Miller's Son, but what kind of mill does your father run? And he answers, the Nostalgia Mill. My father, the Miller, runs the Nostalgia Mill, and we produce... Legend of Zelda blankets, uh, temporary tattoos of Mario's face, of Mario's face. Uh, we run the nostalgia mill, and that's what I do here. That's what this show has become. It's just a nostalgia mill. Although with Final Fantasy V, there's no nostalgia, because it wasn't released here when I was a kid. It was, you know, Final Fantasy, it, it's interesting, because you had Final Fantasy II and three here in the States, which I played and I reference a lot. And uh, they, they 
you know, nobody knew that they were not truly Final Fantasy 2 and 3. This is before the internet and stuff. People just didn't know it. You know, maybe like super dedicated Japanophiles, which who were very rare then, you know. Uh, as much as that's been a thing for the last 15, 20 years, these hardcore Japanophiles and, you know, anime culture and all that shit and just video game culture just sweeping the world. You know, before the internet, you know, there weren't quite as many Japanophiles. That stuff was pretty obscure. And even though these games came from Japan, you didn't really know what was going on in Japan. Maybe you had like you know, your friend's cousin or somebody had some magazine with a picture that, or something, something that referenced something, but you only vaguely knew. And nobody that I knew really cared about Final Fantasy 2 and 3 to begin with. Those weren't the kind of games that people really cared about. Uh, uh, I mean, obviously they were popular in their own right, but they weren't like social games. I mean, they were RPGs, turn-based RPGs. You just immersed yourself in them and they were not party games. It wasn't you and your friends sitting around playing Super Mario World, uh, you know, whatever else. Uh, it was, you know, these very solitary games. They just weren't very social. And if you did know somebody who played them, maybe you talked about them, but it, it wasn't really a, as big of a thing. And so you wouldn't really get that kind of information. Nobody was there to tell you, at least in my experience, that, oh, the number two is actually four in Japan, and number three is actually six in Japan. And I like that they're not sequential. I like that Final Fantasy V is this missing link. Uh, and in the U.S., two and three, you know, it's like they don't just, they weren't just, they seemed, they sure seemed, like Final Fantasy two sure seemed like, it was the game that came immediately before Final Fantasy III. They fit together fairly nicely, with three being the, the logical evolution. So you never really sat there thinking, oh, it sure seems like there's a missing link between these Final Fantasy games. Gee, it's so weird that it goes from two to three, and it just makes this jump. It sure seems like there's something missing. It didn't feel that way at all, and nobody was there to give you that information. And then, of course, like when the internet came out, and you know, everybody and their grandma became a Japanophile. Everybody and their grandma became a Japanese pedophile. Um, uh, but all of a sudden, everybody was like, oh, do you mean four and six? Oh, do you mean four and six? Oh, do you mean Final Fantasy 4 and 6? Oh, when you say 2 and 3, you must be referring to 4 and 6. Oh, you stupid American. You're a stupid American. You think that you think that this isn't really 2 and 3? And I, I call I continue to call them Final Fantasy 2 and 3 because one, that's how they were etched into my brain. But also, it's this kind of jingoistic, jingoist, jingoistic uh Sort of American pride. I'm like, that's how they came out here. That's what I grew up with. You know, that's that's what I know. So it's this sort of American pride, too, why I stick with calling them Final Fantasy 2 and 3, even if that's not internationally, even if that's not accurate to these the global video game Japanophiles. Uh, but, uh... You know, it's funny, though, how there there was a missing link, and that didn't become apparent until they re-released, not re-released, they just simply released the game in the States. And by that time, I was still playing video games, but when it came out, I was sort of, you know, I, I, I'd gotten really into, like, the Sweet Coden series, and there were some other games, and I, rem I remember being excited about it and getting a copy, but then not playing it. 
and which is you know an expensive uh, thing to not play. You know, you buy a PlayStation game like that and you don't play it. You know, what a waste. Uh, but I just I. You know, I, I loved the fact that it looked exactly like Final Fantasy II, a.k.a. four. I loved that it looked like that game. They used the exact same graphics, just maybe slightly cleaner, maybe slightly brighter or something. There, some of the backgrounds look a little bit more detailed, maybe, but not substantially. And as someone who loves the way Final Fantasy II looks and looked, uh, that original version... Because I know that they've since revised all this shit. Like, you know, my favorite video game uh, is Steam, where I look at pictures of video games. Uh, that's my favorite game, the one where I just look at pictures. Uh, and I know they've since made new versions of these games with, like, 3D graphics, and they look stupid, and they uh, it's just a bad idea. And I know they're remaking Final Fantasy VII to look like it real life. Can't have blocky little Lego characters running around the screen. You gotta, gotta make. You know what I like about video games is, uh, or you know what I don't like about video games? They're not real life. Let's make this look more like real life. That's been the agenda for years now, and I don't like it. So I don't play new video games or anything. It's like let's make this more like real life. It's almost like Alan Watts. You know his idea of the reimagined universe, where if someone doesn't like the universe and you ask them to reimagine what an ideal universe would be, they're going to basically come up with our universe. You know, maybe things will be rearranged or things will be mixed and matched a little bit. It's like rearranging the furniture. It's like you know what this, what this room. This room sucks. I hate the way the furniture is arranged. And it's like well, why don't you create a brand new room that is that fits your ideal? And uh, they're like, okay. And then you go in, and all they did is it's the same exact room, and they just rearranged the furniture. Uh, that's my version of Alan Watts's, you know, reimagining the universe, where he says somebody will in- inevitably just create the same universe all over again if they're asked to do it. It's what we know, and that's sort of how video games are, where it's like, oh no, video games are this crazy imagined world. They're they're nothing we can experience in real life. You know, like Final Fantasy has an airship. I don't see any airship. I don't see any airships where I live, and it's like we got fucking planes and helicopters, and they might not look like boats in the sky with like a mast and propellers, but I mean, both, I mean, some planes have propellers. All planes have propellers, I think. They have engines and propellers, just like boats. So they are airships. If you don't think a plane is basically an airship, you know, just because it doesn't look like uh, some, like, steampunk, like, thing with a mast on it doesn't doesn't mean shit, man. It's still, it's still a fucking ship that floats around in the sky. Um, but, uh, you know, video games are very much that, where it's like even as, as much as they are these like dream worlds or these things that we can't, you know, things that defy the physics and, and defy the aesthetics. And a lot of it is very much aesthetic, you know, where, you know, people think about video games being different than real life. And how much of it is just a paint job? How much of it is just like, oh, those characters wear clothes that people don't wear, but they easily could because they actually recreate those clothes when they cosplay at these fucking conventions, you know? It's like all this shit is is very much within our realm of possibility, and just because it defies our physics, it's still using some sense of physics, you know, it's still rearranging the furniture. So in a lot of ways, video games are just that, and it's a strange phenomena to me that, and it's not strange because it seems to be what we do with with all of our entertainment and our art and everything, but 
you know, old video games, you know, and there's a reason beyond the nostalgia why I like them. And part of it is because the graphics leave a lot to your imagination. Like going back to the to Final Fantasy two, aka four and Final Fantasy five, they're virtually identical graphics wise. The characters look the same, they're just different colors. It's really just a, a palette swap um with a different story. Uh, but, you know, with those, it's like a lot is left to your imagination, and I like that. And it's not perfect. Like, those games are a little bit sparse for me. Like, I like a little bit more detail, which is why Final Fantasy three, a.k.a. six, is the best all around. I mean, there's a part of me that just wants to rebel against that and say Final Fantasy four, two, whatever. Um, but Final Fantasy three slash six... There's just a, a little bit more detail to the towns, to the characters, to just everything you're seeing visually. It's perfect. It's it's the perfect sprite sort of game, and it's exactly what I want, because a lot is left to your imagination. You're not looking at people who look like, you know, annoying versions of real people, which is what you start to see in, like, Final Fantasy VIII, where it's like, oh, these these look a lot much... This, this, the characters look like real people, basically, and they look like people I wouldn't like... I don't like I don't like their build, you know. It's like I don't like this. Like, what really turned me off from the Final Fantasy series? Let's just get negative for a second. Is you know, it's like every main character started to be this kind of like slender male, you know, and you started to see more of the obvious, you know, obvious. Like I don't know. They they like their white characters like look like. It's almost like when when a guy tries to draw like like when you're growing up if you if you were tried drawing a girl growing up and you were a boy how you, they, it inevitably looked like a man like every girl I ever tried to draw probably to this day ends up looking more like a man because that's more that's that's first of all what I learned to draw first you know drawing superheroes and stuff like that but I think it's also as a man it's like I naturally want to draw things a little more masculine so like all the women I draw, I have to really try hard to not make them look masculine. And I noticed that with girls too. Like if you if you ever see like a female fantasy artist try to draw like a male hero, a masculine male hero, uh, they inevitably have kind of a feminine look to them. You can almost see the feminine hand having made this character. And sometimes that's cool. Sometimes it's cool to have that. But Final Fantasy, I feel like they'll make these white characters, but they actually look Japanese, and they all look kind of feminine too. And it's kind of cool. It's a cool aesthetic in its own right. It's unique. But it just got overwhelmingly that way, and nothing was left to your imagination anymore. Uh, and that's when, you know, Final Fantasy VIII just really sealed the deal. Final Fantasy VII had a little bit of that, but that's a great game. I, I can't criticize it. And, uh, but, uh, with these older games, it was, so much more was left to your imagination, and that's what I appreciate. I wasn't looking to play video games so that I could see, like, an alternate reality. This feels like I'm dreaming. I, that was never an interest of, in, of mine when it came to video games. Uh, so playing these games, even if the graphics are a little, even if, you know, a little detail would be fun, like, like, it'd be fun to investigate more objects in a random person's house that you barged into in the village or whatever. I like those kinds of details, those little things like, oh, you know, there's a little pixel, it looks like a, uh, what is that object on that counter? Oh, it's something I can like obtain. And it just looks like a random pixel. Oh, you found a, uh, I don't know. You found a potion. In someone's house, a potion. 
but uh, yeah, just, that's one of the reasons why I appreciate those graphics. I, I just like them purely on their own aesthetic level. It's not even nostalgia. It's not even anything in particular. There's just a charm to them. Whereas I feel like video games grew increasingly dark. Like Sega Genesis was always a dark system, and here I am being a youth preacher again. You know, uh, the Bible, it's kind of like, uh, you know, Jesus, he's kind of like Mario. He's kind of like Mario. Um, that's how I feel. It's like, I'm, I'm using terms you understand. Let me let me explain the Bible in terms you understand. Well, the Bible, it's kind of like a Sega Genesis. And you know how Sega Genesis always was kind of dark? The graphics were always dark. Well, the Bible has that. But if you struggle through that darkness and you, you make your way through, you know, you're Sonic the Hedge. You're Sonic the Hedge. You're not a hog. You're just a hedge. Um, but if you struggle through, you will find that light. But it's true. Sega Genesis was always a very dark system. It was physically dark, the system itself. But the games always had kind of this darkness to them. Dark black backgrounds. But uh, what I like about some of those classic... Super Nintendo RPGs is even when things are dark, it's like there's this brightness to them, and not a not too cartoony, not too cheesy or anything. There's just something nice about it. Just something nice. Uh, but you know, my first experience with the Final Fantasy games. Uh, well, what I'll say about that real quick is on Final Fantasy V. You know, having now played through it for the first time, it's incredibly hard. It's a really hard game, and I. I would say I grind more than the average person. I'm willing to, you know, spend that extra half hour just fighting bad guys to level my characters up. It's, you know, just like doing anything repetitive. There's something kind of, uh, you know, you kind of get into a a trance. And I'm someone who always prefers to get get that extra gold, get that extra experience, you know, learn a few more spells, whatever it is that grinding gets you. It gets you all kinds of things. Makes things a little easier, but... Uh, with Final Fantasy V, I was like, well, I don't want to grind too much. Because there's some games where you grind too much, and the game's too easy. You know, you ruin any difficulty. And that's the funny thing about it. And I guess that ties into what I was about to say. Which is that my very first experiences with the Final Fantasy series were with Final Fantasy II, renting it. And it was probably not right when it came out, but I would say I was about six or seven years old. So pretty close. I mean... I would guess I probably played it by 1992, and I would have been about, I would have turned seven at the end of 92. So I would say I first probably played Final Fantasy II when I was six or seven, and uh, I remember renting it. And I still, I vividly, I can see it in the video store. I can still see it in the video rental place. And I remember looking at the cover, and it's just, the, the cartridge had just this, uh, and the cover itself, I believe, just it was a red background with a, a dagger, a silver dagger, and it just said Final Fantasy II. And there was nothing uh, nothing really to catch you beyond that. It was very similar, you know, it was very organic. It wasn't particularly digital, although, you know, just I, I like the, the silver shimmering text and blade on a red background, on just a plain red background. I like that just solid red. Uh, but there was nothing really beyond that to entice you. It was just you either have to like like just the basic aesthetic of like a fantasy title of a fantasy logo and a dagger, a sparkling dagger, 
uh, or 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 just you just have to be interested in the mystery of it of not really knowing what you're gonna get because at that point I had no idea what an RPG was I don't think anybody really did you know, people of a certain age probably uh, but you know it wasn't commonly known and I rented it and uh, I think I, you know I'm sure I had played Zelda before that I think that we we my sister and I had a link to the past. But I don't remember thinking about that. I don't remember thinking, oh, this looks just like Zelda, and then being like, what the fuck is this, when like the battle scenes popped up. I don't remember thinking that. Uh, and I know I played Zelda. My family had a, a regular... No, we didn't... I don't know that we had a regular Nintendo. My experiences with regular Nintendo were very inconsistent. I remember playing it at our cabin, and playing the first Zelda, and the second Zelda, and like some other early Mario games, but I don't know that we owned a, a regular Nintendo. I think we may have rented it when we were at our cabin, something like that, because you used to be able to rent systems, which is you know funny to think about, the idea of renting a system, but you could do it. We're going to rent this Super Nintendo for the weekend. Uh, the Bible, it's, it's kind of like your regular Nintendo. And you put the cartridge in, it's like, that's like, read, that's like Exodus. No, that's the opposite of Exodus. Exodus is when, you know, when you take, when you play in Legend of Zelda and you take it out of your Nintendo, that's like the book of Exodus. Um, but, uh, yeah, I remember playing that, but, you know, it wasn't, Zelda wasn't like an institution like it is now, I guess, you know, it didn't, it wasn't like super, I remember playing it and enjoying it, but it wasn't like, oh, this is just like Zelda, it was just its own thing, and I was always attracted to castles and medieval imagery and fantasy, although being that young, I didn't even know what fantasy was, I didn't know what any of this stuff was, and uh, when you would rent a Final Fantasy game, they would have other people's save points on there, there were three of them, and so you could play someone else's save, wherever they were in the story, and trying to play my own story, like starting a new game, was just too difficult. You know, being that young, I didn't understand like what grinding was. I didn't understand what leveling up was. All of it was very esoteric to me. It was all very strange. And uh, it required some level of thinking and strategy that just wasn't familiar to me. I just, you know, it's not that it was that complex in hindsight, but being that young and video games being, you know, what they were at the time, it was, I just had no idea what I was doing. And I was interested in the story and I felt like it was a learning experience in terms of like, there are so many things you encounter, like mythological creatures, even though it's not based in our world, it's like, once again, it's still like a reimagination of our own universe in that Alan Watts sense. It's still that moving around of the furniture because in those games you end up like having these monsters you can summon or you'll fight bosses who are named after mythological creatures from you know greek mythology from you know eastern religion you know there's hindu gods in these games you know and there's swords that are named after various things um you you see things there's like ragnarok there's odin you know i don't think i'd ever come across odin before I played Final Fantasy 2, you know what I mean? It's like, so you're introduced to a lot of cultural points of reference in those games, and there's a lot of reading, you know? It's, it's really like an interactive book in a certain way, even though the storylines of those old games are very simple, the dialogue is very simple. It is very much like an interactive book. Um, but those first uh, times renting it, and I didn't get that game until later, but when I would rent it, I would 
when, especially when I was really young and I just couldn't make my way through the story. It was just too difficult. It was too hard for me to really comprehend. And I would always reach a dead end. It would be some boss battle and I hadn't leveled up. So they would just wipe me out every time. And I didn't know anybody who could say, well, you have to do this. And the idea of doing that seemed so unappealing and opposite of what I thought the video game experience was. You know, you think about most games where you're just driving through, you're just powering through. And uh, with a game like that, like the idea that, oh, you have to walk around in circles for the next 20 minutes fighting the same bad guys over and over to get your statistics built up high enough to make this boss fight easier. That is, there was no way to really understand that. So what I would end up doing when I would rent Final Fantasy 2 is I would play someone else's save. And there was always someone who they must have marathoned it themselves where they'd be at the end of the game or something. They'd be like close to the end of the game and they had all the stuff and they had the airship. And so I would just fly around in the airship going to villages and castles and trying to avoid (laughs) random battles. And I would just go to these villages and talk to people. And of course, the people in the villages would reference events that had happened in the game if you had actually played it. But it gave me, the, it was it was very much an esoteric sort of experience, you know. I don't feel like I'm reaching by using that term. It was kind of obtuse. It was very, uh, you know, there was something I didn't understand. I felt like there was some sort of mental block. Like, I didn't understand what had happened. I didn't understand, like, what the, the story or the narrative was. Because obviously I hadn't played through it. I was playing someone else's save. Uh and but still i was intrigued i was deeply intrigued and i remember actually renting that and get, having a babysitter one night this neighbor girl was probably 6 years older than me and uh she was you know really kind of excited about the fact that i was playing super nintendo and she was like oh i'll watch you play and uh i played that game and she was like whoa like when i got in the airship her mind was just blown that i was just like flying around in this airship and she became a lifelong Final Fantasy fan after that that girl went on to be like the the world's most renowned uh, she she does long play YouTube videos of just playing Final Fantasy now that neighbor girl who babysat me I you know I just blew her mind and it changed no she I don't think she had any interest in Final Fantasy after that but it blew her mind uh, to see me playing that and to be f- just flying around in an airship because my mind was blown. Just, just flying around this little world, this little world within my world and going to towns. And that was what was so intriguing. But I did eventually reach that point where I was like, I want to actually play this. As, as fun as it, as it is to rent this every once in a while and just like cruise around this weird little world that's intriguing... Uh, I would actually like to play this story out. And so I eventually did that. And, you know, that's where you learn about grinding. And it was really a fun lesson to learn, looking back on those, you know, first... You know, because the, the cool thing about it, too, is nothing was spoiled for me. It wasn't like by playing someone else's save near the end of the game that I felt like everything was spoiled. Even though I knew certain things that were going were gonna to happen, you know, it, it didn't turn me off. And, and when I actually played the game, I was, like, actually happy when like things happen that I was familiar with already I was like oh so that's how that happens oh oh, that's when that character does this oh that's what that villager was referring to so it was cool in that way nothing was spoiled and I was able to actually kind of like enjoy the game at both ends of the spectrum where it's like I was able to enjoy it in this totally detached way where I'm just like flying around on an airship 
you know, because and you could name your characters anything you wanted. And so sometimes you'd play someone else's save and they'd given their characters just like shitty names or stupid names. But as far as RPGs go, uh, you know, I'm I'm very into naming the characters what they're supposed to be named. I'm very serious about them. But yeah, when you actually play through the story, you know, you learn about grinding, you learn just how that all works. You learn how to progress your way through an RPG and some are easier than others and as they developed, you know, some games got smart. Some of these games got smart where, like, leveling up, like, you'd reach a point where, uh, you know, it wouldn't let you level up very much anymore because they want to keep the game just a little bit difficult. And that was what I was actually looking for because as fun as it was to just cruise through the world, I liked that the game was difficult in a way that other games weren't difficult. It wasn't difficult in that it made you, like, do cool things. You didn't have to, like, jump here and bounce off that wall and try not to fall in the hole and not, not run into the spikes and not have this guy kill you. You know, it wasn't that kind of game. I liked that it was difficult in a completely different way. In kind of a slow moving, I mean, turn-based RPGs, you know, are notorious for their slow movement. It was this kind of glacial-paced difficulty, and that's why I liked it so much. But I was seeking out difficulty. As fun as it was to cruise around in that airship and just, like, look at towns and, like, oh, this is just fun. This is utopian. This is utopian. As fun as that was, uh, it was like I was seeking the difficulty. I was seeking a, you know, some sort of difficulty in the experience. So when I actually started playing the game, I got to enjoy that. And in playing Final Fantasy V, which just to go back to it, is extremely difficult. I think maybe one of the hardest RPGs I've ever played. Tons of random battles, so that's obnoxious. You know, tons of boss fights. Like, multiple bosses sometimes in the same dungeon, at the end especially, you know, so more boss fights, not just boss fights, but difficult. And I did a fair amount of grinding. I did I did it what I would consider in a normal game, a good amount of grinding. And even then, I barely got by, you know, I was getting by on the skin of my teeth in the, the whole time, really. Every time that I thought, like, oh, I think I've leveled up too much and the game's going to be too easy, I'd just have to fight the next boss and realize, like, oh, fuck. Uh, but, you know, that's good. I, I mean, it's fun because that's the thing. You know, I talked recently about stress rituals and how in our daily lives we'll just find ways to get stressed out. We'll find ways to just kneel before that god of stress, that deity of stress. We just, we we manage to find ways to do it and it makes us feel like shit. Oh, I'm having a great time at, at a restaurant with my sister-in-law. She came in from Boston. Uh, oh, but my chicken tenders are lukewarm. This sucks. You know, it's like we'll find any way to like ruin an experience and get stressed out. But we also seek that out in these other ways where every form of entertainment for us is really in the genre of stress. Every movie, every movie we watch is a stress film. Every video game we play has to have stress. You have to get stressed. You want difficulty. I mean, just watching a movie, it's like we don't watch just utopian movies where everything's perfect. It's like, oh, this is a story about people just flying around in an airship and talking to people. And everybody's happy because all the bad stuff is behind them. I love video games and movies like that. I just love them. I just love those utopian visions. I love those utopian visions. Uh, no, we don't like that. We want to actually, you know, while we enjoy when those things are, you know, a part of the entertainment, uh, we don't want that to be the whole story. You know, we want to get stressed out. 
And I feel like that's a good thing. You know, it's, it's almost like fitness in that way, where it's like fitness is a chance to get to stress yourself out willingly because you know it'll make you better in some way. It's like you go for a long run and you're like, fuck, this is hard. But you get through it and you feel great at the end. And, you know, you may even be a person, a freak like me, who feels good while you're doing it, while you're grinding yourself down. You may be a freak like me who loves random battles in an RPG and can kind of get into that. Except if they're like every other step. Like Final Fantasy V, like there were points in the game where like every other step was another really difficult random battle. Because it wasn't just the boss battles. It was like even the random battles, most of them were hard. Like they're, that game is very difficult. And I'd always heard that, that like the games in Japan were harder and this and that. And I think it's true. As the Japanophi- Japanophiles like to say, the games are all harder in Japan. Uh, oh, do you mean Final Fantasy IV? Well, it's harder in Japan, you know, those, uh, but anyway, uh, just, we want that difficulty. We seek that out and sometimes it's too much. I mean, nobody, you know, there were so many games growing up too. There'd be those games that were notorious for being too difficult and that's not fun either. Like if it's just the whole thing is stressful, you don't want it to be too stressful, but if it's too easy, it's just, what's the point? You know, you don't feel any sense of accomplishment. You don't feel like you're actually doing anything and that, Reminds me of a funny experience where I had these neighbor kids who were a little bit younger than I was. Just they had a kid who was like a year younger, but he had some younger siblings and uh, like four years younger. And they had this Barney video game, you know, Barney the Purple Dinosaur. And one time I went over to their house when they got it and I was like, I got to play this. And this is looking back, this must have been my first experience with like ironic behavior for lack of a better phrase, you know, that sort of, I'm doing this just because it's like the opposite of how I really feel. But I was like, I want to play this game. I want to, you know, Barney was a little bit, you know, past, you know, it was for younger kids, you know, even when I was a young kid. Uh, So I was like, I'm going to play this Barney game. Look at me. I'm an older kid and I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy. And I was like, I remember like pretending to enjoy playing it, but then kind of reaching that point, like anytime you, you, start doing something for reasons of irony. Uh, I hate to even say irony. I hate, I feel like I need to come up with it. You know, you're, you're doing it out of like this facetiousness, but it's what people came to call like irony when people are like, oh, he's being ironic in his trucker hat or whatever. It's that same sort of thing, like an ironic action, doing something out of some sense of irony. This is my first time ever actually doing that that I can remember. And so I was playing this Barney video game and it was just the easiest thing in the world, as you can imagine. It's like a game meant for three-year-olds. And you're Barney, of course, uh, and you're just running around on a side-scroller platform and you are playing hide-and-go-seek with kids. You're finding the kids. And the kids are, like, sticking out of bushes, like, really obviously. Like, they don't even try to hide the kids. So it's like there's no challenge whatsoever. And it doesn't get any more difficult as it goes on. It's just really repetitive. You're running around on the side-scroller platform, and you're just finding these kids who are just blatantly sticking out behind things. It's like not there's not even like a point where there's a kid behind a bush, and the bush just kind of twitches slightly, and you're like, oh, maybe there's a kid there. It's like every single kid, it's like their their entire body is sticking out. Uh, and I remember playing that and going, this is awesome. Oh man, this is awesome. This is this is great. Uh, and like of course I was being ironic and like my neighbor kids were like laughing at me. They thought I was just being so funny cuz they knew I was being ironic. It was probably their first experience with irony as well. 
And then I kind of crossed that threshold where I was actually enjoying it because that's what happens anytime you do something. Every time you're facetious about something, every time you do something because of some ironic impulse, you inevitably cross over and then it becomes your new reality. So I did start actually enjoying this Barney game. It was very, uh, it was kind of like, it was just so repetitive. It was just like, wow, this is like just eases your mind. Everybody just needs to play that Barney game. You know, all these people stuck in traffic, if if they were just going home and playing that Barney game, no, but it wasn't stressful enough. You, you know, it did get really boring really quick, this Barney game, uh, the Barney game. So, you know, you don't want a game to be like Barney, where you're just running around finding kids who are supposedly hide-and-go-seeking, who are, who are supposedly hiding but sticking out entirely. Like, if you played that in real life and kids were sticking out that much, you just get pissed off and, like, beat people up. It's like, you need to actually hide. That was always fun, you know? Here's the nostalgia mill. Here's the nostalgia mill. Do you remember hide-and-go-seek? The youth preacher nostalgia mill. Uh, but, uh... Yeah, with Final Fantasy, you know, it just once I actually started playing through the game... And actually experiencing that difficulty, it made it much more worthwhile. And it's something we want out of our movies, any of our entertainment. We want that stress. It's not good to participate in stress rituals, you know, when they're not necessary in your real day-to-day life. But there seems to be this, when you willingly go into a stress ritual that has no impact on your day-to-day reality... There seems to be something satisfying about it that's entirely different. And video games are one way to do that. You know, working out is a way to do that. You know, there are hobbies that are based around difficulty and overcoming difficulties and, you know, watching movies too. It's, you know, we always have that question. I mean, you get sucked into a movie. You're like, what's going to happen to them? Oh, no, something happened that's bad. What's going to happen? When you're in a room full of people watching a movie and you can feel everybody get sucked into that moment when the when the stress hits them, because it's not just a hypothetical question. Oh, what's going to happen to those people who got kidnapped? It's it's also like you really want to know. You're in it now. You're in it, boy. Oh, you're watching this movie. You're in it now. You're in the stress. But we do like to get into that, and I found myself really stressed out near the end of the game last night, near the end of Final Fantasy V. I was, the, the last boss was really hard, and it was just every moment, it's like heal spells, it's like, oh, this character got killed, gotta revive him, this guy's down to like almost no health, but I need to attack the guy, I need to attack the bad guy if I'm actually gonna beat him, so I have to risk not healing this round, and I have to try to cast some sort of maybe a, a protection spell, a shell, as it's called, shell. And I should mention too that I played the uh, the fan translated version from the late '90s. I was playing it on ROM, uh, an illegal ROM, and so I was playing the fan translation. Uh, so not whatever the uh, definitely not the Game Boy version, not the PlayStation version, whether that matters or not. But, uh, yeah, very difficult. And, uh, you know, going back to the Barney idea, though, it's funny, like, thinking back about that of, like, you know, getting into that and the game having no difficulty. And that's, you know, one of the only games I ever remember playing that wasn't just easy, but, like, actually removed any kind of difficulty whatsoever. And I think it was an attempt, I mean, it obviously was an attempt to, like, bridge some gap between the really young kids and, you know, video game age kids 
because you know video games in general were thought of as you know at least like first second grade not like toddler age or whatever age barney was intended for but i do remember there was this movement to like make a and they probably just made a few of them because it probably wasn't very successful, but to make games like that for really young kids. And it makes sense why it was so easy. I mean, if it's a three-year-old running around, I mean, all they can do is push a button. And, uh, you know, any, like, nuance is going to be totally lost on them. So, of course, it's just a game where you run around and find kids who are sticking out. Uh, but still, you know, the, the idea of making those games like that, it's like, were those games popular at all? Like, I mean, it was more of a thing where a parent, you know, the parent really had to be like, I'm going to get this for my kids so that they can, like, start playing video games extra early. I don't even really know what the idea was, but I, I remember sitting there, and I was sitting on my knees in that way that kids sit, which is so uncomfortable, where you're sitting on your knees and your, like, back is straight up and you're just uncomfortable. And even if you slump down, that's uncomfortable too. I That's just something I don't like in general where... We have this idea that kids should sit on the ground. Hey, kids should sit on the ground. And kids have to do it all the time. They make you do it in school. You do it at home. You do it in front of the Nintendo. And there's this idea that kids are meant to sit on the ground. And I don't like sitting on the ground at all. You know, I don't like any... I don't like sitting cross-legged around a fire. I'd like a chair anywhere I go and not a couch. Because couches are disgusting. I mean, adults play video games from couches. And I'm just not a big couch fan in general. Uh, couches, to me, are like the public restrooms of seating. I guess benches, you know, public benches would actually be the true public restrooms. Uh, but it's, as far as someone's house goes, you know, I, I've talked a lot about bathrooms on these shows. And, you know, I prefer single occupancy restrooms, whether it's in public or especially at a home. I mean, I'd be impressed if I went to someone's home and they had a, a multi-person bathroom, if they had like a urinal trough in their home. Some guy with like a man cave, a quote-unquote man cave, uh, he has a urinal trough so that all his friends can piss together. Uh, but I'd be impressed by that. Uh, but a couch to me feels like, you know, sort of it gives me the same sort of feeling when I'm sitting on a couch as I do like sharing a public restroom with multiple people. I like a single occupancy seat. I want to sit in a chair. It doesn't matter if I'm a kid. It doesn't matter if I'm an adult. I don't want to sit on the floor. I don't want to sit on a couch either. And when you go over to someone's house and you sit on their couch, there's always that thought where it's like they've jerked off. They've jerked off on this couch. Like, even if they didn't, even if bodily fluids haven't touched this couch, they've sat here in this spot and, like, jerked off. They've had sex if they're lucky. If they're lucky, they've had sex on this couch. Uh, it's just that sort of thing. And they, they sleep on this couch. That's the, the foulest of all. They've slept on this couch. They've gone to bed. They've, they've had dreams on this couch. You know, it's that sort of feeling. And the only reason to have a couch is to, like, impress a girl. Like, not even so you can make out or cuddle or whatever. It's just because, like, a girl will feel uncomfortable if she goes into a guy's house and there's not a couch. It's just one of those girl things. It's like, if they go into your house and there's not a couch, they're uncomfortable. It's like, well, how are we going to binge watch and eat takeout? Uh, on you know, You're going to sit on the floor. That's how you're going to do it. We're each going to have individual chairs because that's ideal. That's ideal. Let's have chairs. Yeah, couches. I'm just not a fan in general. It's like, 
if, if it's there, I'll sit there, of course. You know, it's like I'm not going to hate the couch. But I feel like couches, too, it's like beyond what I already said. It's like they're just, uh, they bring out the worst in people. They bring out just the laziest, you know, most, like, disgusting aspects of people. I already mentioned jerking off. I already mentioned, like, you know, other things. Like, you know, just they're a magnet for bodily fluids. People piss on couches, I guess. I don't know why they would piss on a couch any, you know, do people piss when they're sitting in chairs? I feel like someone's way more likely to piss their pants on a couch than they would a chair. I don't know why. I think, once again, it's just the couches bring out the worst in people. People snack. People binge eat on couches. If you're sitting on a couch, like, you just have to have something in your hand. You have to have a bag of chips. You have to have some takeout. Some takeout. Uh, you're going to be binge watching. If you're sitting on a couch, you're in it for the evening. Like you're in, you're committed. You're not going to be getting up except unless to get more food, unless to go to the pantry, to answer the door where the pizza man is. You know, couches just bring that out of people. And uh, and I have to say too, like I've been, I sat on a couch a little bit playing Final Fantasy V, but a lot of it was spent kind of uncomfortably in a chair. Um, but even then, I'd rather be uncomfortable in a chair than comfortable on a couch. What does that say about me? Um, but uh, yeah, there's just something more too where we want little kids to be on the ground. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is that tells us like, oh, you know, these primitive little people, these tiny little people, let's make them sit on the ground. Let's all gather around. You want to listen to a story? I've never been comfortable on the ground. Even as a kid, it's the idea that kids can be more comfortable on the ground than adults, so therefore they should. Like, let's all gather them around for story time. We don't, we don't have this many chairs. We don't have enough chairs for the kids to all sit in chairs during story time at the library. Let's get them a bunch of couches. Let's get like 50 couches in the library and have kids sit on them. Those couches will be clean. Let's have kids sit on couches everywhere they go in school. Uh, there's too many desks in this classroom. Let's have kids sit on couches and listen to the teacher. There won't be any piss or saliva or greasy fingers on that couch. Uh, so that's what school should be. is just kids playing the Barney video game uh, and sitting on couches, pissing their pants. Uh, but... Uh, I don't know. I have mixed feelings even just playing video games these days, which is why I do it so rarely. I mean, part of it is because I do become obsessive where there is like a voice in the... Like if I've started a video game and I'm enjoying it, there is this little thing in the back of my head, in my heart, that's telling me like, why don't you play it? Why don't you spend the next couple hours playing it? You started it. You started the game. Why don't you spend the next couple hours playing it? Uh, there's that little voice telling me that, and it sounds just like that. It's eerie what a great impression I can do of the voice in my head that tells me to play games for hours on end. But I think that's the reason why I don't do it, you know. And right now, having beat the game last night, what do I want to do? I want to play more video games, and I think I might. I think I might later today. I have some push-ups to do, I have some sit-ups to do, and after that, you know, I've earned it. I've earned the right. I don't need to do anything creative today. I'm taking a break from creativity. I'm, I'm getting into the world of video games. I think I might, though. I think I might play more games. But, you know, video games do color your reality. That's the thing about all this, you know, like, oh, video games cause violence, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't think they don't. It's an awkward phrase, but, you know, I think, you know, I'm not saying that video games cause everyone to be violent. I'm not saying that playing sh first person shooter video games causes anyone to be violent. 
But I do think some people are impacted by it. And that was evident in Columbine, where the one guy, he was obsessed with the game, and he even created his school within Doom. Like, he created a mod, a level that was based on his school and things like that. He was, he obviously was influenced in some way, and and there were supposedly other parallels, too, that they, like, integrated into the shooting that were, like, Doom references and all this stuff. This is real stuff. This has actually happened. And, you know, I'm not, so it's, like, not this idea that, it's like one of those things where it's like not all first person shooter video games cause people to shoot people, but all mass shooters play first person shooter video games. It's like one of those things where it's like, you know, everybody who does that does play this thing. And it's not that that causes it, but to say that it has no influence whatsoever is kind of ridiculous, too. But I'm hesitant to say that because, you know, it's like you don't want video games to get banned, although I kind of do. I think that, you know, because video games wouldn't cease to exist if they got banned. They would just get better. You know, because I think video games suck now. You know, I'm not trying to be, like, controversial or like an old man who's like, video games just aren't good anymore. I'm sure that if I really got into it, I would probably find games I liked. If I did more than just look at pictures of video games online, I'd probably find that they're actually fun to play. But at the same time... uh. You know, I don't know. I think if video games were outright banned, you'd end up with these uh, bootleg or, like, these illegal video games that would be fucking amazing. It would actually give them some kind of edge again. Especially if they weren't simply, like, if it wasn't the content that was banned, if it was just all video games, you know? if, if it was So you just end up with these weird, creative, you know, probably simpler games, but they'd be really fucking good, and you'd have to get them on the black market, It'd be like drugs, and it'd be fun. So I'm kind of pro video. You know, I, I'm I'm definitely pro banning video games for that reason because I think it would simply make video games that much better, and it would just be fun to live in a world where video games are randomly banned and people are upset about it. <laughs> um, but uh, I do think there's a connection between video games and you know the way they impact people's personalities in the same way that a couch makes people lazy. I mean, it's sort of like one of those philosophical questions I hate, but still it's worth saying. Like, is it the couch that makes someone lazy or is it the lazy person that sits upon the couch? You know, I think it's a little of both. It's a two-way street. And that's how I feel about video games too, where I do think that video games, certain types of video games encourage certain types of behavior. If someone spends all their spare time in a dark computer room killing people with fake guns in a game that's hyper-realistic, that's going to color their brain in some way. I'm not saying that it's going to make everyone go out and shoot. We know it doesn't. Obviously, it doesn't. But, I mean, there are stories about guys who joined the military because they loved first-person shooters so much. I mean, that's not an uncommon story because I've heard of it a number of times. And I don't know many people who play those games or pay attention to people who play those games, but even I've heard that story several times where guys got really inspired by their first-person shooters, so they decided to join the military and not be psychos about it. It just inspired them to be... They want to go hold a gun and have the potential to be a hero, I guess. Uh, And, you know, of course, it's nothing like that. Of course, joining the military is nothing like that, but... uh, It's just something that inspired them. So in the same way, you know, I think these malignant people, these people with some sort of, you know, 
uh, destructive pathology are influenced by the games that they play. And I can speak from my own fucking experience here because I would say that I've been directly influenced by all these RPGs I've played. I've been directly influenced by playing Final Fantasy growing up. It's still a point of reference that I use constantly and not just for nostalgia. It's something that I learned about. I mean, even my interest in mythology and... Uh, there's a lot of spiritual ideas in RPGs, those older ones. Uh, Final Fantasy V in particular, at the very end, like I'm not going to give away the ending because I want you to grind your way through 40 hours of random battles and earn it yourself. Uh, but the end of Final Fantasy V gets into some really deep spiritual subject matter. A lot of those games do. Uh, and I, I look back at that stuff and I see where it provided a foundation for me. It opened my brain to certain things. I learned a lot from them. Uh, and that's why I continue to use them as a point of reference beyond the nostalgia mill. You know, when the nostalgia mill is shut down and we live in, you know, a post-apocalyptic uh, global warming wasteland, uh, I'll still be thinking about this stuff, and I'll probably be even more inspired by it because I'll actually feel like an RPG character when I'm living in that world. Uh, but even just stuff like fitness, I mean, there's a reason why I use grinding in the RPG sense when I talk about, you know, fitness and working out and running and lifting weights. I mean, that stuff comes to mind, and I feel like just fighting through random battles and leveling up as a, you know, fat eight-year-old provided me a foundation, you know, 25 years later for getting into working out. And it's like, oh, this is the same idea. I just have to do it with my body. Uh, and, uh, you know, so in that, in that way, I would say, yeah, video games do influence you. They do seep in somewhere, and it's a two-way street. I'm not saying that it makes... Oh, I work out because uh, I played Final Fantasy growing up. No, it's not that simple. Just like it's not simple to say, oh, they shot up their school because they played Doom or Fortnite or whatever the current game is that people play. It's not that simple. But to say that that stuff, there isn't an influence, there isn't a relationship, is bullshit. And I think people are so scared of like things getting banned. I mean, it's kind of how I feel about weed. I already mentioned weed earlier, so I might as well mention it again, where... I've always been hesitant to talk about the negative sides of weed because it was illegal and uh, overall I don't I don't think it's bad and it has a lot of good but it's like you're hesitant to talk about something if you're scared you're you're hesitant to be truthful about something if you're scared that something bad is going to happen if you're truthful about it and that sucks to feel that way but I kind of feel like that's where we're at with video games too where it's like these things do have a huge influence on people's personalities and behavior and I know we're afraid of blaming those things wholly, or we're afraid of, oh, everybody, you know, everybody's going to have to uh, wear a seatbelt because one person didn't. Every, nobody's going to get to play Doom because one guy shot up his school and now they banned Doom. You know, it, it's like, that's always this fear-based idea, and fear gets in the way of the truth so much. Uh, but, you know, video games do provide a certain foundation for people, especially when they play a lot of them, especially when they're obsessed with them. And that's one of the reasons why I'm very careful about games. First of all, because it's not necessarily the most productive use of your time. I think it's just as productive, if not more, than like watching movies and definitely more than binge watching new Netflix shit. Uh, but at the same time, you don't want to get sucked into that void. And if you've played Final Fantasy V, you'll know that what that reference is all about. 
even though it's one I would have made normally. Uh, but but uh, you don't want to get sucked into that void uh, of like playing video games all the time and living in a world where that's your only hobby or the only thing you do. Uh, but I do recognize where they're addictive and I get obsessed about them when I play them. Uh, like after I, after I beat Final Fantasy V last night, I, I looked up like secrets. I was like, what secrets did I miss? What secrets did I miss? What, what, uh, what stuff got cut out of the game that was originally in it? I'm not even kidding you. I looked this stuff up. I was like, what's, there's a website like the cutting room floor and it, it tells you like what was cut out of various games and media and I was trying to see, like, oh, what, what, like, bad guys were in the... And guys go into, like, the code of the, the game and, like, find things that weren't included in the real game but were buried in the code, like little snippets of dialogue or, like, random monsters that you never actually fight but they were created in the, in the code somewhere. And I looked that shit up. That's how much I get into things when I play them. I'm like, I want to know not just all the stuff I spent 40 hours experiencing... I want to know what wasn't there, too. I want all the mysteries uncovered. So, I mean, that should tell you something about these things. These things are powerful. Uh, They do influence you. And if you play them from a young age, they create a little notch, at the very least, in your brain, in your heart, in your heart and your brain. Uh, They bridge the gap between your heart and your brain. (laughs) Uh, but uh, they do. I do feel like that. And I, I was never really a first-person shooter my, uh, fan myself. I was never a first-person shooter myself. It's true. Uh, but I was never really a fan myself either. I played some of those games. They were fun. But they were a little dark for me. They made me think of being in a dark room and just, like, killing things over and over again, which somehow random battles aren't. You know, that's where... The Final Fantasy games, I guess, are esoteric or something, where there's very little actual violence. You are telling your characters to swing swords and cast spells and kill things. You basically spend, you know, half the game killing things. But in those old turn-based games, you don't really see any violence. You never actually see anything get struck with a sword. Your character just kind of walks out and holds up his sword like 20 feet away from the bad guy, and the bad guy, like, takes a hit that is reflected in, like, these little numbers below him, it's all very abstracted. It's like an abstract form of violence or something. And uh, maybe that's worse for you than anything. (laughs) Maybe playing a game with this just abstract violence is worse for you than anything. No, I'm not trying to say like RPGs are better than any other game or whatever, even though it's true, even though that's one of the truths that people fear. But I don't know, it's just interesting, and I do think that these things influence you, and, you know, you should, uh, you should, you have a little fun. Stress yourself out with a difficult video game. Uh, You might actually learn something that you can apply to real life, or uh, you might even learn a discipline that you can apply to real life, because I guess that's the interesting thing about being a kid and learning that I had to do random battles over and over and grind in order to progress the story, or to make it easier to progress the story, is that's a form of discipline, And you don't think about something like video games, you know, helping to reinforce discipline. But I do feel like RPGs provided that. And even if at the time you don't apply it to your real life, it is something that you can learn. It is something you can even recognize later and be like, oh, yeah, that was a form of this thing that I've since learned. Uh, But in short, you know, basically RPGs are very healthy for you. 
They're very healthy. You'll learn, you know, some healthy disciplines that you can apply to your life so long as you don't play them while sitting lazily on a couch. Uh, and uh, first-person shooters never play them. They cause you to kill people. They cause you to sit on the couch. Uh, you know, you should strive to... If you're going to play video games, if you're going to be obsessed, you know, go for the healthy ones. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free. So take.